So good to see each and every one of you here today in the house of the Lord at Victory. I'm excited about this message this morning. I hope that uh, it's cool enough in here for everybody. These days when it's 100 degrees outside, we try to get in here and make sure that um, the air conditioners are running Saturday night and we properly are able to chill the place off because once we get in here and start worshiping and clapping our hands and moving around a little bit, I tell you, I don't ever have to worry about being warm enough. That's never my problem. Uh, so we're just totally excited to have each and every one of you. We hope that you'll uh, run home real quick at the, the end of the service today and um, maybe grab some cargo shorts or maybe a swimsuit if you'd like to join with us. If you don't want to swim, listen, don't think that, oh, I don't want to go because I don't want to swim. Everybody's expected to swim. No, 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 no. There's plenty of places to sit under the shade and uh, Darren Johnson has his big barbecue grill out there, and he's grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. The church is covering everything. All you need to bring is just your favorite soft drinks or water. Okay, so if you jump to the store real quick, run by the quick shop, and uh, get a little ice and some uh, soft drinks. Man, if somebody remember the pastor today and get me some Diet Dr. Pepper, that is the, <laughs> the elixir of the prophets. I just want you to know. Uh, now, everybody don't come up with a six-pack of Diet Dr. Pepper. Uh, <clears throat> My wife and daughter are out today. Abby is attending Camp Electric, which is a, uh, a rock and roll worship camp at Trevecca Nazarene College all week this week, beginning today at noon and then uh, through Thursday. And so that's the reason they're not here today. And so I've been a bachelor uh, last night and this morning and actually made it here and uh, was able to put my clothes together and get here on time. <laughs> how many of you thankful? Men, men, how many of you thankful for your wives? I just want to say... I just want to say, every one of you ought to believe you've got the best one in the world, because I know I do. And we're so grateful for the help meet that the Lord has given to each and every one of us. Jerome, thank you, my brother. Uh, let's give him one more hand, if you would, this morning. I, I, am, I am so excited at the talent that has been a part of this church and the new talent that is emerging we're going to be having a tryout for our, our worship ministry here in the next couple of weeks. We'll be announcing that. If you get our email newsletter, it's called This Week at Victory. You probably have already read a little bit about that, but we'd love to get you plugged in if you play. You know, I've I made a joke and I said, you know, bring your tissue paper and your combs and your kazoos and your juice harp and everything else. I was just kidding about all that, but uh, if, if you play guitar or, or drums or keyboard or something like that or you sing, then we'd love to be, hear you because we want to expand... I'll be honest with you, I'm looking to expand this thing where we can have a very deep bench in terms of sort of talking about it like sports so that we can move this thing around and just and have a roster and not be dependent on the same folks all the time. But I just want to, I want you one more time this morning, let's give our whole praise team a hand. They're doing such a great job. Bernie, Greg, Scott, Greg's taking a little break, you guys know that, just pray for him. We, just, we love Greg, he'll be back. And uh, we'd just be, please be praying for him for the summer. He's taking a little time off, and uh, we appreciate uh, his doing that and seeking the Lord. His heart is so after God and his passion. I love that. Alexandra, I, I know I'm just sort of calling the role this morning, going through the roster, but honey, you did. Where is she? She did an amazing job this morning on Hosanna. That is absolutely one of my favorite, one of my absolute all-time favorite worship tunes. And uh, so this morning, I want you if, you, if you have your message notes, they look like this has a little, looks like a tree and a particularly emphasis on the roots there because we're in the book of Colossians together. And as we look this morning, 
to Colossians chapter 1. I want to just take about three minutes and do a quick review of last week. Last week was probably one of the most intense and one of the, in terms of content, one of the hardest messages that I've ever tried to preach because I wanted to be faithful to the scripture and to the text. This, this message in the book of Colossians deals with particularly some issues that the, the church at Colossae was facing and some heresy had been creeping in. And so before we jump into that, into to a review for about three minutes, I'd like if you would with me one more time, would you stand and let's read together our text. You'll either find it at the top of your message notes or on the screens this morning. Our text, our whole series text, is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And if you have it there in your notes, give them a second to get it up. There we go. That's wonderful. Let's read it together this morning. The Bible says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for the reading of your Holy Scripture this morning. We acknowledge that your Word is powerful, it's living, it's active. Thank you that you have given your word to us for teaching, for instruction, for correction, Lord, so that we can walk in the path of righteousness. Lord, we ask you today in the name of Jesus that even as I submit my thoughts and my words to you, I pray, O oh God, that you would speak through me, even as the Apostle Peter wrote in his letter, to speak as the oracles of God. Father, I ask you today in the name of Jesus that you would just cover this, that you would open the hearing of your people. Your word says in Proverbs, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made them both. I acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I cannot do anything. Jesus, you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are the teacher of the church. You're the only one. God, I pray today that you speak through me. I thank you that by and through you, with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We give you that praise. We thank you for that. Be in this service. Touch hearts. Change lives. Help us, O oh God, to be everything that you've called us to be. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole section today from verse 21. It actually runs through the third verse of chapter 2. So it's altogether about 14 or 15 verses. And beginning in verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1, the Bible says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm in verse 24 now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Stop right there. Everybody say, his body is the church. Say it this way, the church is his body. All right, verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Everybody say mystery. He says, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say that with me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say it together. Here we go. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's absolutely one of my favorite passages of Scripture right there. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal right there, to present you mature, complete. That really is the Bible word perfect, is the word mature. All right? To present you mature in Christ, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, we're going to get three more verses and we're finished. For I want you to know how great a struggle, everybody say struggle, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. There it is again, the mystery, which is Christ. In whom, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And all of God's people said. Amen. Colossians was on a major trade route. It was 100 miles inland in a tri-city area with Hierapolis and Laodicea. Colossae made the third city surrounding the area of the major metropolitan, cosmopolitan city of Ephesus. Ephesus, being on a major trade route, created an opportunity for these three smaller tri-cities to be affected by the latest trends and the fads and the fashions and the, the stuff that was coming through. Now, when I say fashion, I mean the Bible word fashion. I don't mean the New York runway specifically relating to clothing. I'm talking about the fashion of the world, the the cosmos. You know, we have the, 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 the Greek word cosmos. We get our English word cosmetology. Ladies, you put on cosmetics. The, the word for world is cosmos. It means the order and the arrangement of things. And the Bible says to be not conformed to this cosmos. Don't be conformed to the fashion of the world. Uh, now, now let, me, let me just say this, ladies. We're not preaching against cosmetics because I'm going to tell you even an old barn looks better with a little bit of fresh paint on it. And we don't have any old barns in this church, only brick houses in this church. She's a brick. I got your attention, baby. <laughs> Wake up. Colossians is a, Colossi, rather, is affected by the latest trends. Um, all the new philosophies, Eastern mysticism. It's a large colony of Jews, so there is a representation of really fastidious Jewish legalism. Got to keep all of this law. Got to get circumcised. You, you, have to be, you have to become a good Jew before you become a Christian. And Paul dealt with that in the book of Galatians. There, there's some astrology. They're looking at the stars. They, they've got this idea that all of these rogue 
demonic, angelic principalities and powers are basically running the show, and so they're paying attention to the placement of the stars and how the planets are lined up, and they're reading their daily horoscope. How many of you know when it comes to Christ, you don't need a microscope or a telescope or a horoscope because it's all found in Him, and He's fully revealing the mystery. He's making it all known. It's the full awareness of His presence on the inside of us. And so Paul is dealing with all this stuff because in the middle of this, there's a little bit of a Christianity that's mixed in. And so we've got this whole group of Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. It's from the the Greek word which we get the word knowledge, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. We get the English word agnostic. That's someone who just does not know. By the way, next time somebody tells you and they sort of braggingly say because it's sort of in vogue to say they're agnostic... You say, yeah, yeah, I know the word it comes from. Do you want to know the Latin equivalent? And they, when they ask, you say, ignoramus. <laughs> Same word. Agnoeo, someone who does not know, ignoramus. If we don't, if we just don't know, and you know what? Jesus died for people who just don't know because he said, Father, forgive them for they, they don't know. And, and, and so that's the whole reason Jesus came to the earth, and that's what the gospel is all about, is because all of the other world religions will call you to die for their cause or for their leader, but Jesus Christ is the only leader of any world religion who himself, as the leader, came willingly to die for his followers. That'll preach real good right there. And so all of this stuff is going on in Colossae and Paul begins to write with some specific intention because these Gnostic teachers in the know, these people that are in the knowledge, these are not agnostic, but they are gnosis. They are teaching secret knowledge. They're teaching esoteric knowledge. And it's just sort of this kind of a secret society kind of a knowledge. And, and they, they, they're promoting this idea that really is, to, to some extent, hanging around in the body of Christ today, and that is the idea that the more I know, the more mature I am. And how many of you know that's not always the case? It is a pagan Greek mindset which says knowledge equals maturity. And that's what Paul is fighting. He's saying, look, guys, this is not about being initiated into some kind of secret mystery religion or some kind of a knowledge cult. But this is about the unveiling of the mystery presence of Christ. When you receive him, he shows himself fully. He's revealing, apocalypto. He is uncovering, he's manifesting, he's showing, he's delivering the fullness of who he is into your life. And so Paul's dealing with all this heresy and Gnosticism and Oriental philosophy, and somebody says, well, so what does that have to do with us today? Let me tell you something, sweetheart. It has everything in the world to do with us today because you and I are so marinated. We are so marinated in the spirit of this age. Uh, Dr. Stephen Mansfield is a friend of mine, tremendous, tremendous historian, written several different books. He wrote The Faith of George W. Bush. He wrote The Faith of the American Soldier. He wrote a book recently. Now, this may offend you if you're religious. He wrote the book called Of God and Guinness, the Guinness family, not the Guinness Book of World Records, but the Guinness family that makes the beer, is a devoutly in love with Jesus family. Love the Lord with all their hearts. Now, if, and if I've lost a couple of you already, 
then just please forgive me. Because let me tell you, this is something that is so bound in the South. When I visited foreign countries, they don't think anything in this world. Matter of fact, after they have their church, they go meet at the pub. I had it so quiet in here. <laughs> oh, is that what you're promoting, Pastor? No, I'm just telling you, you need to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> you know, somebody said one time, and I'm not promoting any kind of loose living. I'm not promoting... Uh, that you do something that you shouldn't do. If you have an issue with alcoholism, you better leave it alone. But we get so caught up and fight battles over the stupidest things and, and, and so many things that really are not even issue around the world. I'm going to tell you, when I was in Indonesia and they brought me a, a bottle of wine, I was so thankful because I was having to pray in the Holy Ghost every time I sipped anything that looked like water. I'm fighting whether I'm going to tell this joke I've got right here that's it's, it's stuck. You really, you really want it? <laughs> you know, it's said that, that Muslims don't recognize Jews and Jews don't recognize Christians and Baptists don't recognize each other at the liquor store. Um... I will pray and ask you to forgive me after service. <laughs> how, how, where did I get on that? Where did that come from? Guinness. Guinness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mansfield wrote this great book of God and Guinness, and he, he, uh, he talked about the deep commitment of that family. And, and I, for whatever reason, I decided to chase a five-minute rabbit about that stupid book title. I shouldn't even have said that. Um, help me. In, uh, yeah, it, it's, we have to deal with that religious stuff. See, because that's part of the whole legalism thing. In his book, The Faith of the American Soldier, he surveyed a number of young men in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he asked them about their faith and what they believed and what it was made up of, the body, the corpus of their beliefs, the, the faith that they had in God. And a number of them truly had a, a, a honest-to-goodness built on the solid rock, the bedrock of who Christ is, but uh, uh, there was a whole host of them that, that just had this big, syncretic, kind of a big, huge, massive mixture of stuff. One young soldier basically said, well, if I could tell you what my belief system is, it's one part Sunday school, it's one part Dr. Phil, it's one part Oprah. And this was his honest answer. Now, uh, this morning, I'm not here to throw off on any of those names. Thank God sometimes Dr. Phil really just tells it like it is. I love the line. I want to look at people in counseling and go, how's that working for you? <laughs> I've never done it yet, but I want to. <laughs> How many of you know sometimes you just have to tell the plain truth? And I know Oprah does a lot of wonderful things for people. She's flat gone off the deep end and lost her sense of connection to the, the solid Christianity that she was raised in, promoting a whole new age system of beliefs now. And that's, folks, I, 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 that's from the pit of hell. Are you hearing me this morning? So Colossae is dealing with all of that kind of stuff. In the middle of this, Paul makes the attempt to begin to bring some stability to show them that Christ and the knowledge of Him, a personal relationship with Him, is what all of this is about. It's, it's not about some kind of secret knowledge or some, something that is really only really reserved for the spiritually elite. Amen. 
And I've had enough of that. I've been around the whole deeper life camp. And, and you can get so, so marred down into the depth of things that, that you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. Really to be mature means you just really apprehend and grab hold of the basics. And you learn to walk out. Honest to goodness, live out on a daily basis who Christ is on the inside of your heart. Come on, somebody. Give him praise. This... Three points, and I want to hit it really quickly this morning. The first one is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. We find that in the phrase there, Colossians chapter 1, and he, he, Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Now, I want you to see this this morning. Every one of us, before we came to Christ, were enemies of God alienated, separated from him. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are without hope, having no God, nothing in whatsoever. Strangers from the covenants of promise, away and apart from the covenant of hope that is in Christ. None of us sought the Lord. It took the drawing power of the Holy Spirit reaching down into your life to even make you aware of the fact that you desperately need a Savior because at your very best you are and I were... You and I were worthless sinners, dead, unable to make a choice, even to choose him. He had to reach to us first. God is always first. He is always primary. He is always prevenient. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. God is about the process of drawing his own. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? It, in so many circles, we have reduced this thing. We have, we have truncated it. That's, that's a $100 word, which means it's cut the chest out of it. It's, trunk, it's cut the trunk out. It, there's no guts to it. The gospel has basically been reduced to fire insurance. Have you trusted in Jesus so you don't have to go to hell? Or let's flip that side on the other side of the coin. Have you, have you met Jesus so you can go to heaven? And I want to tell you, that product, God's ultimate reason for sending His Son was not to keep you out of hell or to get you into heaven. It was to get His Son onto the inside of you. Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. It was in a rebellious creation that had turned its back on God in an act of disobedience by our federal head, Adam, by our parents, Adam and Eve, who had disobeyed the first commandment of God and turned to obey the voice of the enemy instead of doing what every one of us should do every time a serpent slithers up into your garden. Serpent, Hebrew word in the book of Genesis, is the word whisperer. Every one of us fights a whisperer. The uh, biggest battle that I fight right here is from my ears up. Because of the thoughts that I have to battle, because of the things that the enemy sends through and puts in my mind. And that's the very condition that we were in before we came to him, because we were alienated from him, enemies in our mind against God. The Bible says in Romans 8, for to be carnally minded is death. The carnal mind is enmity with God, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many of you want some of that latter? Everybody say life and peace. So what is the gospel? The gospel is not just Jesus died to save me from flames. 
or Jesus died to get me to heaven. No, Jesus died so that I could partner with him, so that I could become an ambassador for his kingdom, so that we literally could become the leaders in the culture and the generation which we are alive, so that this thing could turn its, bow its knee and turn its face back toward the God that created it. So that the glory of the Lord that God made the earth to be filled with would once again fill the place. Are you hearing me? It's so that the rule of God, the government of God, the kingdom of God, the lordship of Christ, every one of those things are all synonymous, would fill this place and the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea, the book of Habakkuk says. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that God loved us so much that he sent his son to demonstrate what life in the kingdom was about. That he would live a sacrificial life. He would die a sacrificial death. He would be raised from the dead. He would ascend and then he would pour out his spirit upon a multiplicity of believers that what once was contained and limited to his physical body now can cover the whole earth. That you can and I can carry the fullness of Christ around on the inside of me. The same way that Jesus walked the planet with the fullness of God on the inside of him. Do you hear what I just said? If you really understand that, you will begin to think differently. What is God's view of you? So much of us waste time, we spend energy worrying about what other people think about us. It affects how we dress. It affects where we live, the kind of car we drive, the expectations we think that others have of us, how we react in certain circumstances because we definitely want our reputations intact when there are times that we ought to speak up and ought to confront in love, mind you. We withhold, we hold back because we are concerned about what people think. How many of you know it's not as critical what others think it's not even as critical what you think about yourself as for you to begin to understand what God thinks about you. So what's the, what's the question? What does God think about me? Well, in the work of Christ, the Bible says, He's now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you, everybody say, holy, blameless, and above reproach before Him. Holy, blameless, above reproach. Can any of you right now confidently say those words describe you? Yes, absolutely. Everybody say, I am holy. Not because of what I've done, say it. But because of who he is. I want you to hear this this morning. I, I, I was reading in the book of Hebrews this week, and the scripture says, He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of the same source. The Greek says of the same stock. If you really trace it back in the Greek, it literally says from the same root. I about shouted because this is my series. The question is this morning is, are you attached to the vine of Christ? Because the root is holy. And if the root is holy and you're attached and the life that's coming up out of the root is on the inside of you, if the root is holy... He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all from the same source, from the same stock, out of the same root. 
I got to get a hold of myself this morning because I feel the presence of God in this place this morning. And I'm trying to tell you, you've got to get your mind renewed. Jesus did what he did to effect a transformation. The hope of the gospel is that we would be so transformed. And that transformation begins with a new identity. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new. The old has, the new has. Are you hearing me? The hope of, gospel, the hope of the gospel is that there would be a complete transformation. And that begins with a new identity. Let me just tell you this. Too many times we enter seasons of our lives where circumstances array themselves, all as a tactic of the enemy. Personal doubt, self-esteem is low. The enemy comes in, begins to whisper. Men hit their 40s and they have many times what's called a midlife crisis and they go do crazy things sometimes because they forgot who they are. Are you hearing me this morning? See, the enemy wants to always challenge you in the same way he came to Adam and Eve, the same way he did in the wilderness with Jesus. He said, you're not the son of God, if you really are the son of God. And it's a question of identity. He will always come and challenge you. No, no, if you really were a Christian, you wouldn't be battling that thought you just had. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't have that feeling about that person you have. Come on, how many of you, be honest with me this morning, show me your hands. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about today? That's how the enemy works. He challenges your identity. This morning, you need to be grounded, rooted in the fact that the root is holy and you're connected to the root and because the life of the root is flowing through you. It says it again in Romans chapter 11. If the root is holy, the branches are also holy. Aren't you thankful today? The Bible says if you abide in Him and He abides in you, His words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you because you're connected to the vine of Christ. Holy. Same word as saint. See, we've got this stupid idea. Forgive me, I don't want to offend you this morning, but it comes out of a Roman Catholic theology that says saints are dead people who live sinless lives and perform miracles. That's not biblical at all. Saints are anybody who's trusted in Christ, turned from sin and turned to God. That means the littlest, youngest believer who said, Jesus, I baptized one last Sunday. Wesley Grafton is a saint in the kingdom of God. She's not a wannabe saint. She's not a potential saint. She is by the virtue of what God has declared over her life. Come on, if it's in Wesley, it's in you. If it's in you, it's in me. It's in all of us this morning. I'm looking at the body of saints. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at West Memphis, and it landed, was delivered by the postmaster here to us, and he would say to the saints at West Memphis, could you hear it and receive it as Paul talking to you? To the saints... I know I'm hanging on this this morning, but man, we've got to drive this. We've got this stinking thinking in the South, in American, in this Southern churchianity. Because you've every Sunday had it hammered at you over and over and over and over and over again. Linda Ronstadt might have well been in the choir singing, you know good, you know good, baby, you know good. You're just a low-down, stinking, filthy, no-good worm. You know what? That's what I used to be. That's not what I am now. I'm holy and I'm blameless and I'm above reproach before Him. I'm about five or ten of you believe that this morning. I, are, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
holy. You, you, you've been called apart for something higher. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember this. God, help me. Where's this stuff coming from? I just saw a scene flash across my mind in Gone with the Wind, and Dr. Mead looks at his little wife, who's about the process of, of raising some funds for the, the beautification of the glorification of the graves of the glorious dead. If you've not seen Gone with the Wind, you don't know in the world, in the world I'm talking about. She's a little prim and proper lady. And she sort of crosses some boundaries. And Mr. Dr. Mead looks at her and she sa- he says, Mrs. Mead, remember yourself. I want every one of you right now to look at somebody beside you. And I want you to look at them and I want you to say, remember yourself. <laughs> Are you hearing it? Do you see how God sees you? He calls you holy. He calls you blameless. He calls you above reproach before him. I love it. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Point number two this morning. I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes about the mystery of Christ. Everybody say the mystery of Christ. This, right in your notes, it's the Greek word musterion. Literally means sacred secret. The sacred secret. God says in this passage to the Apostle Paul right here that this thing has been hidden for ages and for generations. But right at this appointed time, God revealed it and he called the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Colossae and to tell them this has been God's amazing plan for ages and generations Pardon me, that it wouldn't just be a body of Jewish believers, but that God was going to bring the two together in one. He was going to destroy the middle wall of partition, and he was going to unite and make one new man in Christ. And he was going to call this body the body of Christ. This is the sacred secret. This is the mystery. This is the mysterion. And Paul is literally saying, I've been suffering for this. I'm in jail for this. When he says, I'm making up for what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, he doesn't mean that he's suffering as a substitute for us the way Jesus did. Jesus totally paid for the sins of the whole world. They are sufficient for the whole world. They are efficient for his elect. I want you to hear this this morning. When Paul says, I am making up what is lacking... In the afflictions for the sake, in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, he's talking about suffering. He's in jail. 1996, I went to China and was there for almost a month. We were in Mongolia for 10 days, preaching and teaching and getting a new Bible school established for indigenous Mongolian pastors because Mongolia had been under the tyranny of the Soviet Republic, the USSR, the Soviet Union. And that whole thing had fallen. 1989, 1990, 91, those three years there where everything began to crumble in the Soviet Union. And so everything was wide open and the gospel rushed into that vacuum and we began to have an open door. And there was a time in Mongolia where there were no known Christians and now there's an amazing revival of God that is going on there. It's awesome just the last 15 years how churches, we, we took up an offering and we took a beautiful new ovation guitar over there for a, for a church in Erdnet, which is the university city in Mongolia. Beautiful place. About 600 believers 
had come to Christ over there in about two years, had, had once faced tremendous persecution. Back to Beijing, we're sitting whispering up in a high-rise hotel in the metropolitan area of Beijing, and we're sitting there in the presence of a husband and wife, a wife who has just been three days prior reunited with her husband, who is a Ph.D. economics professor, from the University of Beijing, who was in Tiananmen Square preaching that liberty is in Jesus Christ when the Tiananmen Square riots broke out. And he's preaching the gospel of God. He was taken into captivity and was in prison for seven years because he stood up and said, freedom is in Jesus Christ. He preached liberty in Jesus Christ. Saints, I want to tell you this. In America, we have absolutely no concept whatsoever of the power of suffering that would bring to us if we had to face a little bit of persecution, if the possibility of our lives were on the line, if we had to, if we had to give ourselves, is this thing going out? Is it working or not? All right. You can hear me anyway. Would you help me with a, with a wireless there with a handset? I'll just finish it this way. This brother was in that particular place and whispering because every one of the hotel rooms in Beijing are bugged, knowing that there is the possibility at any time for the Chinese version of what we would refer to as the KGB in the Soviet Union, always listening. We smuggled Bibles in. We carried puppets in. We, we did crazy stuff. I mean, I had a suitcase filled with New Testaments that our church had bought, taking them over to China. Probably one of the greatest revivals that's going on around the world right now is happening in the Chinese underground church because of the amount of persecution that's happening there. Let me just say this to you this morning. I don't want persecution to come to America. But I'm going to tell you something. If it, if it would take that to bring this nation back to its knees for us to cry out to God for a true revival and a reformation to take place, then I say, God, bring it. Because there's a quality and there's an intensity. There's a level of commitment that those people in China have that I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think at this point I know that in my life. I, I, I'm not standing in judgment of anybody in this room. I'm just saying I'm going to tell you it convicted me. I cried out and I said, God, what would I do if I were before a firing squad? Paul is suffering. He's, he's laying down his life in a prison. And he's literally saying to these people, he said, listen, man, there is a, a mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. And it is this principle of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everybody say Christ in you. When you look at this in the Greek, it is not just in each and every one of you individuals, but it literally says Christ in and among you all. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them, say, I can't do this without you. This is not about me and Jesus. Riding the range, Lone Ranger and Tonto, just me and Jesus, just having a good old time. You know what? If it were just me and Jesus, man, I, we wouldn't have any problems. But it's the fact that when Jesus comes, he brings all his friends with him. That's all the rest of y'all. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
God did it on purpose because I can't just do this, just me and Jesus. It is not just Christ in me, the hope of glory. It is Christ in and among all of us together. We are in this together. We are a community of faith. We, we must do this together. We must live this thing out together. Are you hearing me this morning? Well, put your hands together. Don't just play. That's good. All right, a couple things and I'm going to be finished. If you have your Bibles, look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because this is this whole principle about the body of, the, of Christ being the church. The church is his body. Corpus. And the Apostle Paul gives us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it is an amazing passage. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, first of all, he's given us this whole teaching on spiritual gifts, which I want to tell you at Victory, we believe they're very much for today. The Holy Spirit is still moving and working, still does miracles. He still heals sick folks. He still performs miracles. Mountains blown into the sea. He, 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 he anoints people to do great things for the kingdom of God. We believe that at Victory. I believe the reason we haven't seen it is because people haven't been brave enough to preach it and folks haven't been strong enough to receive it and hear it and believe it. Come on, somebody. Because when you preach salvation, people get saved. If you preach healing, folks that are sick will get healed. First Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one, verse 12. First Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with what? These are four, five little powerful words. I'm going to do that again. I'll stay right here. Start after the comma on the last line. So go with me. Here we go. So it is with Christ. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. One more time. Here we go. So it is with Christ. So Christ is the head of a many-membered body. You're going, hey, so what? That's a well-established truth. You know what? It really isn't. It's only been the last 60 years in the historical course of restoration that has really been brought to light in the sense of present truth in the body of Christ. If you read all of 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on to say, verse 14, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's a Stephen King film right there, a bucket full of eyes. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I'm going to jump to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This whole principle of the one and the many is found all over the scripture. There's one body, many members. There's one vine, many branches. 
Psalm 46, the Bible says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is one river, many what? Streams. Now the problem is, is that when I start thinking my stream is the river, well, bless God, I'm Church of Christ. And we're the river of God. Everybody else is just a flooded, polluted tributary out there. We're the river of God. Or bless God, I'm Pentecostal. We are the river. Or Presbyterian or Catholic or any other of the other Heinz 57 varieties or designer labels that might be in the back of your current robe of righteousness. Have you hear what I'm saying this morning? One body, many members. One vine, many branches. One river, many streams. And the whole point is, is that we need every one of these. I need you because you're a member of the same body I'm a part of. I can't get ticked off at you and cut you off because you're the little toe or you're an ankle that's ticking me off. Because if I do, then guess what? I'm going to be hobbling around and the body's going to be messed up because you or I, one, are not functioning in the place that we've been called to function in. But my whole point in doing all this is to remind you, all of this is Christ. Hello, Christ. I don't think you guys got that. So it is with Christ. You are the body of Christ. Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. What is that this morning as we finish? The hope of glory. 1 Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, First Colossians chapter 1. Anybody get anything out of this? Amen. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Point number three, the hope of glory. God's hope is that there would be a completely restored image of God not just in his son, who is the prototype. He is the firstborn from the dead. But that it would be among many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, that's you, everybody say, that's me. He knew me before the foundation of the world is what the Lord is saying. For whom he did foreknow, those he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants his image fully restored and stamped into every area of your life. Not just so you're free from the flame of hell. Not just so you've got the, the blessing of a golden street. But so right now in the middle of a planet that is still rebellious, they can see the image of God in your life God wants to take you and so identify you with the fact that he says you're holy and you're blameless and you're above reproach that you actually start believing that new identity that he's given you and you start living out of that and the stuff that used to bother you doesn't bother you anymore because you get delivered and set free from it and the people that used to tick you off don't tick you off anymore because your heart's enlarged with more compassion than you've ever had before. Instead of wasting time praying curses down on people, you start to think like Jesus. You start to say, Father, forgive them for they just don't. They don't know. And God, you've called me to teach them so they can know. Three things and I'm finished. What is the struggle? The Apostle Paul says, him. Everybody say him. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone, 
teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the struggle right there. I want to tell you, some of those words don't appeal to me. I don't like some of the job that I have. I would love to just get up and preach a nice little feel-good message, and I'm not going to mention any names. You can flip on the TV and you can get all that stuff. You can, you can have it up till it's running out your ears. And everybody needs a good encouragement, a good faith message, but I'm going to tell you, if you never are confronted with the brutal reality of what Paul is talking about here, about a life that is sacrificially given, about the fact that sometimes there is some suffering for the cause of Christ. You don't hear a whole lot of suffering with all these guys that are giving jets to each other and begging you for the $1,000 gifts to keep their TV station on the air, and I, and I just need to sit down and hush. Let me tell you, there's a whole world that's desperately needing to see, not a satellite. They need to see Jesus in your life. They need to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nothing wrong with a satellite. It is a tool for this generation. Nothing wrong with an iPad or a MacBook or a car or a jet or any of that stuff. But when we get so caught up in the preservation of all of that stuff that we think that's what it's all about, that we lose the sense of a connection with the head himself. I want to tell you, I, I, help me Jesus as I bring this message to a close this morning. The first time I went to the mission field, I was 20 years old and was caught up in all the whole college scene and the clothes I was wearing and what everybody else thought about me. And I went down to a little place in Mexico, Ciudad Victoria, in Montemorelos, three or four little cities. And I gathered in little places that, honestly, you wouldn't stop on the side of the road and use a bathroom in a place that looked like this. It was rough. You know what? I went in that place and it didn't have all of the typical conveniences and the comforts that we have in our American churches, but it was filled with people whose faces were so bright with the presence of God. And they, 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 they hugged my neck and they shook my hand and, and glory a Dios, glory to God. And everything was about a praise. And these people were in absolute destitute poverty, didn't have anything. Like my brother used to say, they couldn't find two pennies to rub together. But in the middle of all of their lack, there was a joy and there was a thanksgiving that was in their heart and it so convicted me. I stood there at 20 years old, this is almost 30 years ago, and with my hands raised down in 105 degree weather in August in Mexico, worshiping God, drenched with sweat, with people that are filled with, they couldn't, they didn't want to go home. Our service lasted five hours down there, and they were wanting more. Now, I'm not advocating that. I'm ready to go home right now, okay? I'm, I'm ready to quit. Don't anybody think that I'm upset I want to preach longer. I'm, I'm quitting right now. But my whole point is, is that was their hearts were so hungry. So much of the time in the middle of all of our blessing, we can get off and get disconnected from our heart to the Lord, and that's, that's our joy, that's our relationship, that's our walk with Him, that's thanksgiving for what we do have because we're in the middle of a culture that always pokes us about what we don't have. Got to have the newest, got to have the latest. Oh, that's not any good anymore, that's obsolete. You better go get this new model. You know what, there's nothing wrong with having new stuff. I like nice things. 
But if we are so driven by all of that, that we fail to recognize there is a world, not just in America, but desperately needs our hearts and some of our finances. It's not just about sending somebody else. I believe God wants to take some of us in missions trips in the next year. That's my heart. I've been praying for that. I'm letting something out right now. I want to take some of you to some places that, I, that you think, well, I don't have a degree. I, I haven't studied theology. Let me tell you something. You can just get up there and give your testimony, and the Spirit of God will move, and people will get saved, and it will bring the house down. There's a level of faith moving in these countries because they're desperate. God heals sick folks because they don't have an aspirin or a Tylenol every time they have a headache. They have to trust God. They've learned how to walk in faith because they don't have all the stuff we've got. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when that's all you've got, all you have is just your trust in God. It's amazing how God will move when you begin to put your trust in Him. The struggle is warning and teaching and presenting every man fully mature in Christ. And I'm finished. Colossians 2 verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle that I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all about Him. I'm not going to ask you to stretch out and hold the hands of somebody you don't know because sometimes it makes guys feel a little weird. But I want you to recognize this morning, Christ is sitting next to you. Is that right or not? Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a revelation that will radically change your life. What did Jesus mean when he looked at Paul and he said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, what? You've because they are members of his body over which he's the head. And the head, mosquito bites me. The head tells me, oh, something's hitting right down there. Because the head is aware of everything that is going on throughout the whole body. Because the head is connected and the head knows all things. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you realize your brother in this room is Christ. Christ in and among all of us, the hope of glory. Christ is on the inside of each and every one of us. It ought to make a difference how I treat my brothers and sisters and what I say about them when they're not present. I'm going to tell you, if people had any idea, like Paul with the apostle was talking right here, guys, I've been suffering for this church in Colossae. I'm in prison. I'm making up for the afflictions of Christ so that the body can hear this message. If people had any idea the burden, the weight of the vision and the weight of provision to bring that vision to pass, carries, they would make sure the first words out of their mouth were words of prayer and not words of criticism or complaint. I need your prayers. We, as the leadership of Victory, need your prayers. The Spirit of God's moving in this place in a mighty way. It's going to astound you in the next five years what the Spirit of God is going to do in the Delta through Victory Church.
We're not any better than any other church in this city, but God is going to use us as an encouragement to other churches in this city to believe God to do new things in a fresh way, to be able to reach out and touch the current generation, to still love and honor those of the previous generation, but to catch a fresh vision to not let a whole body of youth just go to hell in a handbasket because we don't want to give up the style or the preference of the way we've been doing things in church for the last 150 years. Are you hearing me this morning? With all of my heart, I'm asking you, remember what comes out of your mouth. Honor Christ. Speak righteously about your brother and sister, which are part of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Did you receive the word this morning? Put your hands together and give him praise.